Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalligators. This week, I wanted to do an evil week preview. Now, if you're new here or you're a more recent devotee of the podcast or the YouTube channel, let me get you up to speed. Evil Week is a video series I do every year, I think for the past four or five years now, that are seven days, seven videos on the seven deadly sins. And when I say it's Evil Week, I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being ironic. I'm not being like winking, like, oh, we're like bad ghouls. <laughs> LOL, Halloween, slay then rosé. No. These video topics are truly evil. Because listen, we're good all year long. We're good our entire lives. And sometimes we need to step back and ask ourselves, where exactly is all of this effort getting us? Is it giving us the kind of life, the kind of outcomes that we truly want and desire? Or is all this goodness, all of this kindness actually designed to keep us small and humble? Work hard, stay humble. Don't do either. Be manipulative, be braggy, be evil. That's why I think it's important for us to shed our ridiculous husk of kindness and step in to the shoes of evil only for a little while. And if truly for no other reason to understand the kind of games that are be played against us by wicked people. Sometimes it takes a thief to catch a thief. It takes a bad girl to identify other bad girls and to help you unleash your inner alpha. Because if we're going through life thinking the kindness is all that matters, well, you're forever going to be prey and never predator. And I've got to tell you, after a while, that doesn't feel very good. So I wanted to use this episode to give you a little bit of an evil primer and to get you into the mindset of wickedness. This week, we're going to talk about why evil matters and why a lot of times kindness and morality is for losers. It's dressed up servitude, dressed up patriarchy in a pretty little dainty bow. But at the end of the day, it's making other people rich, other people in the driver's seat, and you small and helpless. I'm gonna give you a few tools to correct that. But before we get started, I wanna let you know how you can partake in Evil Week this year. It's going to be over at Moment. You can sign up at the link right down there in the show notes. Seven days, seven videos, seven deadly sins. We've got topics like wrath, how to get revenge on a cheater, pride, how to ruin your ex's new relationship, sloth, how to fake innocent when you're actually ruthless, envy, how to dethrone the queen bee, lust, making a man sexually obsessed with you, greed, how to seize power at work if you're unqualified, and one of my favorites, gluttony, how to cheat and get away with it. Like I said, these aren't sarcastic, ironic videos. They're real deal evil. I'm not always a moral person. Honestly, morality, feels like a weight on my shoulders. And I realized that my life, and interestingly, the lives of others, truly is better. When I'm not laboring under this delusion that I have to be sweet and proper and wonderful and kind all the time, 
It's quite frankly ridiculous. So if you want to join me for that, they are going to premiere October 25th and go all week. You can head down to the show notes to grab your tickets now before they sell out because we are capping them this year. And if you want to get in touch with me other ways, join the Shalantourage. It's our exclusive members only cozy corner of the internet where you get access to a whole bunch of exclusive bonus videos and podcasts. And all of Evil Week will be over there as well. And of course, how could I talk about evil without talking about the greatest piece of wickedness I've ever unleashed on the world? My new downloadable course, Get Him Back, your five-step manipulation master plan to getting back your ex-boyfriend, flipping the script on a fuckboy, changing the dynamic in a situationship, and just mastering the rules of seduction in general. We've got nine videos, a bunch of PDFs and downloadables, worksheets, and ways to connect with me. It really takes you A to Z, through the art of seduction, also a bit of the art of revenge, and get you to a place where your ex-boyfriend is going to be eating out of your hand and you will be the one to decide whether or not you want him back. Maybe you will. Maybe it'll be a fresh new start for your relationship. Or maybe you'll be like, eh, actually, now that I've done all this work on myself, I'm whole and happy on my own and you and your four inches, not all that enticing anymore. So you can also pick that up down there in the show notes and connect with me over on my website. All right, let's get into something a little bit more sinister. Let's talk about my own origins of evil because I have a feeling my history is very similar to yours. Hopefully not, <laughs> you probably have your own, but some of this might resonate. So I spent my whole life as a people pleaser. I was literally Lester the Jester, always trying to make people laugh, trying to make people happy, bring people together. And surely these are wonderful traits, you know? Who doesn't want to be around someone happy and funny and who's a connector? And that's all well and good. But I knew in my heart of hearts I'd taken it too far. I knew that I really had no ability to sit with tension or therefore to ever be objective. What am I trying to say? So growing up, I grew up in a household, I was the only child of a single mother. And if you grew up in a similar household, or maybe you were just very connected to your parents and your family members, and you were very, I guess, clued in to the emotional temperature in the room. You could tell when your mom was mad before she, her whole body was even in the room. You could tell by the way she opened the door, by the way she shut the car door, and it just set you on edge, right? Most people who grew up in an environment like that, and I'm not saying like it was a bad or toxic environment, it was just a very close environment. You know, if we don't have a big family or there's only one parent or something, that tends to be the byproduct. When we grow up like that, a lot of people become empaths, right? They're just hypersensitive to the moods of everyone. It has always struck me as funny when people brag about being an empath because truly it's like the weakest person in society. And I don't mean that as like, you're a bad person or you're a loser, but you are weak. Why are you weak? Because when you are clued into the energy of everyone else and you make their energy your problem and you feel burden to put a smile on their face, to make them happy, to rescue them from whatever emotion they're feeling, you have no boundaries. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, someone's having a crisis at 2 a.m.? I'll be right there. My mom's in a bad mood from work. How is this my thing to solve, right? I'm not gonna have my own teenage meltdown. I never had a, a teenage rebellious phase. I never had a teenage crisis, never. That was like not allowed. I existed for my mother. And let me say, she's a wonderful mother. But I, again, took it too far 
and was unable to create any sort of healthy boundaries between me and the people I love. And then soon, as I got older, it wasn't just between me and the people I love, it was me and everyone. I felt responsible for the moods and the outcomes of everyone I encountered. And even people I didn't encounter. Orphans in Africa, sea lion pups. Like, I felt everything. I felt too much. I needed to fix everyone, rescue everyone. And as a result, the underside of that was I took everything really fucking personally. The cashier at Rite Aid is in a bad mood and being a bitch. Yo, we're about to square up in the parking lot. I couldn't let anything go. Why do you think I have a necklace that says revenge that I sell? Like, I felt everything. And because I felt everything, and because I spent all of my energy on other people's energy, trying to make sure everyone was okay, and that they approved of me, and no one was mad at me, and they validated all of my decisions. Number one, I had no boundaries. And I realized I had no objectivity. I was never able to divorce myself from a situation and the emotions that went with it. Never. I was not strategic at work. Even if I was just working at Ben and Jerry's or a waitressing, I couldn't be strategic. I was constantly led around by my emotions, by my ego, because all I could ever see the world through was the lens of energy, right? The lens of putting smiles on faces and, you know, making sure everyone's needs are met. And what that made me was very, very poorly tempered. I did and still do have a bad temper. I would go off at a moment's notice. I mean, I wouldn't do it on the people I cared about because again, I was too energetically bound to them. Like I couldn't freak out on someone in my life because I couldn't run the risk that they would be mad at me because I would collapse. Like my very foundation of self would collapse out from under me, right? So I would get super road ragey. I'd lose it on that Rite Aid cashier. Like I was a monster when I was younger and in my teens and early 20s because I had no self-governance because all I could do was make other people happy. And again, the underside of that was, well, I was never happy. I could never express myself in a constructive way. And so I was always swinging wildly from one extreme to the other. Keep sweet, stay humble, work hard, and a fucking war machine at Applebee's, right? There was no in-between. There was no constructive expression. There was no healthy boundary. It was one or the other. And I couldn't see how these things were linked, right? I couldn't see how me feeling so responsible for everyone else's emotions led to these crazy outbursts. But now I do. lies in my refusal to accept evil into my life. I was operating under not just the assumption, but the directive, the order from on high, from like God herself, that I needed to keep sweet and make everyone happy, right? Everyone had to approve of me. Evil, the idea of doing wicked things, strategic things, manipulative things, why? I can't do that. People are going to be mad at me. 
What do we say about boundaries? The people who hate our boundaries are the ones who benefited from us having none at all. Who was going to be mad at Thanksgiving dinner when I wasn't shucking and jiving trying to tell jokes and bring up neutral topics and keep the peace between Aunt Deb and Uncle Marty? Who was going to be mad at that? I mean, the people who relied on me to step up when they were being childish, when they wanted to fight over the gravy boat, I had to step in and be the adult, right? And so if I removed myself from that role, suddenly they had to govern themselves. Well, fuck, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to while out and act however they wanted. And Shallon's going to figure it out. Shallon's going to figure it out. Same at work, same in friendships, same in relationships. Once my eyes adjusted to this behavior, the patterns were everywhere in my life. And I got really sick of it. Evil week for me, (laughs) evil began in my heart when I was in New York. Not when I first got there because I was still in, you know, the frenetic energy of New York and that lasted literally for years. I was running on skinny vanilla lattes and Adderall just for five years, burning out my fuse. And then one day I got so, so tired. It was after my divorce when I realized moving through life, not really paying attention to what my intuition is telling me, not really listening to what I need, but instead focusing on what I should need. I should want to get married. I should be happy, settle down. I wasn't. And it wasn't my husband's fault. He's an incredible person, incredible person. And ironically, if I had listened more to my own needs, I probably could have made that relationship work, taken it slower, had a more metered, Yeah, response to everything. Not we have to get married, we have to, this is what has to happen next. And it was after my divorce, when the entirety of my life collapsed out from under me. Every bad thing I was worried about, oh, it happened, all of it. Financial loss, status loss, the loss of what I thought my future was going to be, all of it, gone, gone. When I was looking around at the smoldering ashes of my life, I realized I only had myself to blame and my ridiculous devotion to sweetness, my pathetic adherence to what other people wanted me to do, to what society expected from me, to this narrow, embarrassing, feminine path had led me (laughs) to a dead end. I decided it was time to get out in front. I decided it was time to be a little smarter and more strategic about where I took my life and where I was going to move next because I looked at my life and the ruin and I made a promise to myself, I will never be here again. Not ever, not ever. I don't care if there's a war, a famine, a divorce. I will never experience this kind of apocalyptic loss in my life. I am going to get out in front. I will be as strategic as I have to be. And thus evil took root. Now, evil gets a bad rap. And I want us to start encompassing, you know, a more evil persona by sort of erasing the stigma of evil, right? Now look, maybe you grew up religious and evil is like a very real concrete thing that you learn about, that you hear about. It's embodied by the devil. I believe evil as defined by women, like how women are interpreted as evil is women who are a little too fucking mouthy. And I don't mean mouthy like they never shut up. Mouthy and then as in they have opinions about their life 
they have a path that they want to be on. Fuck whatever society tells them this path is. They want kids. They want house. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. Or maybe vice versa. Maybe society is telling them they got to be like that bad corporate bitch. They're like, I actually just want to stay at home. Great, girl. Evil, the patriarchy says, is a woman who knows her own mind and is going to use it. I mean, isn't that right? A woman who knows her body and is going to use it. Oh, she's a slut. She's an immoral Jezebel. Really? I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm just a red-blooded American girl. I like boys. Does that make me a slut? I don't know. Sort of how I'm hardwired, right? We hear this all the time in small little forms. So I want you to start reframing what evil is and start deciding that maybe it's gotten a bit of a bad rap. I instead want you to define evil as doing what benefits you all the time. That is the new definition of evil. You come first. Oh, and I mean that literally, honey. You are the number one priority. Not your boss, not your mom, not even your kids or your husband. You. You. How is that going to shake things up in your life? Who's going to be mad about that? Those people, the people who immediately pop in your mind? Enemies. Enemies. Either someone is part of the problem or they're part of the solution. So which is it going to be? Someone supportive of you putting yourself first in your life. And if not, why? I want to talk for a minute about morality, right? Morality, politeness, rules, kindness. When we stop and think about that, all of those things are designed to benefit other people. Morality only benefits others. Here's an example for you. Stealing, right? Stealing is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. Don't do that. Stealing is so wrong. Oh, it's wrong. Okay, well, why is it wrong? From your point of view, in your life, is it wrong for you? No, stealing is like great. You get a car for free. You get all these organic blueberries from Whole Foods for free. You get to like go in and fuck with your neighbor's house and take that fur coat from that bitch you hate in Gamma Phi Beta. Like stealing is fantastic for you. It's bad for the victim, but for you, uh, I don't know. I mean, of course it's bad if you get caught, but that's not the same as morality. That's consequence, which is not morality. Law and morality are not the same thing, right? Morality is supposed to come from inside. It's self-governing. We don't need the government to tell us or the police to tell us like, hey, don't do that. We know it. It is a directive by which we live and we don't even need there to be consequences. It is simply wrong. Well, is it? Listen, I'm not saying you should go out and like rob a liquor store. Not at all. And stealing is shitty because it's hurtful to other people and you don't want to go through life hurting other people. So please do not mistake what I'm saying in my pro-evil stance is you want to go through life hurting people. No, you want to put yourself first. And if other people are hurt as a consequence, that is unfortunate. And you are going to try to mitigate that damage. And that's not ever going to be your goal, but you are going to serve yourself first. So that's one example, right? Morality is kind of for others. Here's another though, litter. I will never litter. Never. I am much more likely to kill a person than I am to litter. People make me mad and there's a lot of people who need to die. There's never a part of the earth that I'm like, I would love to see this covered in trash, ever. But yet, it benefits me to litter. If I'm driving around and there's a bunch of 
garbage in my car, you know, wrappers and things, it benefits me and my immediate surroundings and situation to throw all that shit out the window and have a clean car. I simply will not do it though, because to me, my individual morality is against that. Here is the point. You need to come up with your individual morality. I have moral blind spots that just are not there. I don't do things. I don't steal. Not because, oh, I know it's wrong. Like I do know it's wrong, but also I don't feel like it. It's the consequences aren't worth it. I would start to think about the people I was stealing from and then I would feel guilty. So I'm like, ah, okay. Would I steal from a major corporation? Oh, absolutely. Would I embezzle? Yeah, of course I would embezzle. Like if I worked for a corporation and I had access to that, of course I would do it all the time. I wouldn't care. Would never bother me whatsoever. Would I sell drugs? Yeah. If people don't want drugs, they won't buy them. No big deal. You need to come up with your own personal code of ethics and don't tell other people what they are. I shouldn't have even said that here on this podcast, but I did. Because once you can get comfortable inhabiting your own code of ethics and inhabiting your spaces in terms of morality, number one, you will stick to it better because it will make sense to you and it will feel chosen and not like something that was forced upon you. Yeah, I don't know, honor thy mother and father. Why, is your dad shitty? then don't honor him. You have the right to protect your peace over some morality that is telling you what you should do. But on the flip side, you're going to be like a warrior for the environment if your moral code says, I don't litter and no one else should either. You're going to vote in a way that makes more sense and is authentic to you. You're going to live someplace where people align with these values. It becomes an emotional filing system. So that when decisions come your way, you know where to put them. Okay, I'm gonna do something with this information. I'm not gonna do anything with that. It doesn't align with my moral code. And my moral code does not have to be yours. But society tells us different, which I understand. We understand that from a sociological point of view. If we were like, hey, some of you guys can kill, other of you are able to steal, that's fine. But you guys can't litter. It would be anarchy, right? We all have to pretend to agree to this preordained set of rules, right? And you don't have to, and you can go to prison. Maybe you'll really enjoy it there. I don't know. So obviously abide by laws, but underneath that, as you move through life, what is your morality? Are you actually fine fucking your friend's ex-boyfriend? Does that really not bother you? Does it bother you if she sleeps with yours? Morality also doesn't have to be a two-way street. Listen, it's called hypocrisy. We know this. It's an unpleasant term. But if you can lean into it and be like, listen, I believe I should get to sleep with Abby's ex because she dated him for like two weeks, whatever. If she even comes near my ex-boyfriend, I'm going to break her fucking jaw. I don't have to have it make sense. I just need to be clear about what my boundaries are and enforce them appropriately. Or take measures so that I don't run into these sticky boundary situations where, yeah, maybe I have the chance to fuck Abby's boyfriend. I'm going to instead go through a cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth it? Is it going to tear the friend group apart? Am I going to get uninvited at Christmas party that I really like? Hmm. What you're trying to gain is objectivity. Whereas before, old you, old me, would only think about people-pleasing. Oh my God, no, that's so wrong. I would never try to sleep with her boyfriend. Oh my God, no, never. It's wrong. Of course, you're still going to say this publicly. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, no, that's so wrong. And there was this feeling inside me like, I feel so evil because I know if I'm alone with that dude and we've both been drinking, things are going to go a different way. 
And if I had paused and said, you know what, my moral code is, yeah, I'll totally sleep with him. Hey, now I can get out in front. Remember, that's the big theme here. We're getting out in front of things, not just the world and how society interacts with us, but our own behavior. I'm gonna get out in front of this behavior. I'm not gonna be alone with Jeff. I'm not gonna take four tequila shots before I have to see him. I'm going to mitigate the damage because I know what I'm capable of. I have accepted, I've looked it in the face without judgment. And so I'm gonna take a plan to avoid the social outcomes that will accompany that behavior because I don't want those outcomes and it's not really worth it. Sometimes it is though. Sometimes being wicked kinda is worth it. than at work. Never. I cannot tell you how many talented, hardworking, smart women I have seen flame out, get laid off, or just languish in the sort of middle ranks of their industry because they went into work with an attitude of collaboration and kindness and speaking the truth, right? My God, my God, what folly. The people who run the world don't even consider this as an option. Truly the most rich and powerful people in any industry, from politics to technology to innovation, celebrities, singers, athletes, none of these people are moving through their life and their career with an attitude of kindness, none of them. Kindness, they understand, is like truth. You use it as you see fit to benefit you. It is not your default setting. Courtesy can be your default setting. Politeness can be your default setting. Listening, because listening allows you to learn a lot about your enemy and a lot about your opponent, right? And a lot about situations and how you can manipulate them to your advantage. But kindness? No. Kindness is in the same category as morality. It benefits other people. That's literally the definition. And hey, we can be kind when we see fit, when we have that spare energy, the spare time, the spare money. But when we are kind at the expense of ourselves, what the fuck are we getting in return? Obedience? Gratitude? Payback? Not really. You know why? Because there's a condescension to kindness. Doing something kind for someone has this tacit undertone of, oh, I'm helping you because you're less fortunate, kind of. Let me help you because you need help. Some people out there want that pity. A lot of people don't. And if they don't, and if you are chronically moving through life being kind, you're gonna be seen at best as weak and easily taken advantage of, and at worst, condescending and sort of sanctimonious. Think of it as chili powder, as a spice. It's not the bulk of your flavors. It's certainly not the bulk of your meal. It is something to be sprinkled on top just when it needs to be punched up a little bit. Same with the truth. Well, Shannon, come on. I am truthful. I can't just like move through life lying. Oh, are you truthful? Are you? Are you 100% honest at work? Really? You're 100% honest with your boss about why you were late and what you were doing on that sick day? You're 100% honest with your friends about exactly how fat they look in those pants. Are you 100% honest with your mom? You're not honest now, 
but are you being dishonest in a way that is truly benefiting you? Are you utilizing your ability for dishonesty to really go that extra mile? I bet you're not. Why? Keep sleep. Morality. I'm a nice girl. I'm a good girl. Your prey is what you are. Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of watching other people get promotions you deserve? Usually men, usually strategic men. Aren't you tired of watching girls get the guys that you like? Strategic girls who know how to play the game. Meanwhile, you're sending the 500 word text about your feelings. Yeah, I've been there. I was her for years and years and years. Where did it get me? Broke, brokenhearted, divorced. Great, great. Yeah, no, that was great. But hey, I'm sweet. I'm nice. Everyone's happy. Everyone's, everyone's happy. Let me tell you why evil is also good. People kind of like it. Everyone is walking through life behind their social mask. And usually that mask, like we said, is the kindness, the keep sweet, the patriarchy, you know, choose love, love wins, all that horseshit. People are yearning to break free. They're yearning for wickedness. Why do you think something like Mardi Gras exists? Halloween. You know, people don't dress up as like a cold soccer mom for Halloween. They dress up as something slutty or wicked or funny. They step outside themselves and they cast off this social mask of propriety and obedience and they let their freak flag fly. And so when we see someone in society who is unabashedly doing that, not to an extreme degree, because that can become predictable and routine as well, you know, can become sort of costumey and desperate looking, like Charlie Sheen, you know, like he was very alluring to males for a while. He was like fucking hookers and like doing coke and he didn't care. He was yelling at his boss, man, fuck you. And then he became sort of clowny and out of control and sort of scary. But for a while there, he was like the exemplar for all middle-aged men. He was doing exactly what all men wanted to do and they couldn't get enough of him. We see people who are living our deepest desires. We can't avoid being magnetized to them. They are absolutely irresistible. We want to be like them and we're inclined to do what they say because they seem brave to us. Everyone loves a villain, right? Don't you always kind of fall for the villain when you watch a movie? I do. I mean, I'm always like, it's like, yeah, the hero's fine, but ooh, Loki. Ooh, like the villain in James Bond movies. I'm inexplicably drawn to them because they're living so authentically. They're living so authentically. They're following their instincts. They're doing what they want to do. They're throwing someone overboard. Fuck you, bye. We don't get to do that. And yet we might want to. So how can you enter your villain era? How can you do this? Because all right, listen, I'll concede. It's all great and fine to be evil, but no man is an island. I mean, you wanna be self-centered in a healthy, positive way and have your goals take center stage, but you don't wanna alienate your children, your family, your best friends, any guy potentially you'd wanna date. How do you do this? How do you truly enter your villain era without absolutely scorching the rest of your life? First of all, you adopt a new motto. Do you wanna hear what it is? Fewer, better. Fewer, comma, better. Fewer, better things. Fewer, better people. Fewer, better social interactions. Fewer and better. 
Because what this is going to do is, again, give you that emotional filing system. When something comes to you, whether it's this crappy Shein two-piece outfit, right, or a crappy dude from Tinder who's like, okay, but you're not really feeling it and it's a Tuesday, do you want to go out? Well, have a categorization system. Does this meet your standards? Is this kind of just adding to the pile or does this fall into the category of fewer better things in people? Because what that motto is going to do is help you define your boundaries. I want you to think back on the last year, if you can go back that far, or even the last month or even the last week. And think about the times when you were really pissed off about something. When you were having a meltdown, when you were bitching about something for like two hours after it happened. What was it? What was it? I guarantee you it had to do with boundaries being breached. But you know what? Not even boundaries because you probably hadn't even set those boundaries. That's when I get the maddest is when I am going beyond a boundary I have not even bothered to set yet. And there's just this feeling rattling around inside me. I'm giving too much of myself. I gave up too much power. I said yes to something I don't want to do. I bought something I don't need. It's because I hadn't bothered to set up that filing system. Evil helps you do that. And remember, what is evil? Evil is putting yourself first. That's what society says women are evil for doing. So fuck it. Let's do it. Villain era. I want you to have your motto, fewer better things than people. I want you to help that inform your boundaries. I want you to look around at the people who hate those boundaries. And I want you to put a target on their back. This person is an enemy. Maybe not they're my overall enemy. Maybe it's my mom. You know, when she's asking me, when am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? And I'm saying, mom, if you bring this one more time, I'm getting off the phone. She does. I got to go, mama. I love you. Bye. Click. Hey, you don't want to think of your mom as a villain or an enemy, of course. But you have to think of her as an enemy to that boundary. Okay? This is a thing or a person banging on your windows, trying to get into your peaceful palace. Use a house as a metaphor that you can go back to, a little touch point. You might have like best friends in the world, but if they come over at an inopportune time and they're begging to get in and they want to have a party at your house, you don't want them in there. And they become in that moment an enemy. They're an enemy to your peace. They're an enemy to your boundaries. It doesn't mean they're an overall enemy. It means you have to repel borders, right? No, you can't come in. No, your four dogs can't come over for a play date. I just shampooed my rug. I want you to go back to that. You are a fortress. You are a house. Who are you letting in? Fewer better people? Fewer better things and experiences? Or are the doors open all the time? 24-hour access. Come and get me whatever you need. I'm your Disneyland. I'll clean up after you. I'm here for you. Please don't mind me. You get comfortable setting these boundaries. You're going to be able to pull back because now you've got much more emotional energy and bandwidth, right? Because you've got a filing system. Think about when you're organizing your closet, when there's a place for everything, cleaning up takes so much less stress. You know, you're kind of on autopilot. Oh, the shoes go over here. This is the sock drawer. It's labeled, blah, blah, blah. When we can make those decisions in life using our emotional filing system, we gain objectivity. And now when we're at work, instead of being so reactive to so-and-so in the break room and reactive to this and trying to people please, and I don't want the head of design to be mad at me, we can pull back and we can start thinking as men think, where am I and where might I move next? What furthers my goals? Who can I use to get where I want to go? We can do this in dating. 
do I like him? Do I even want this guy to like me? Or am I a dog chasing a car? What am I going to do if I actually catch it? Huh. Start to scale up in terms of evil. We can read things like The Art of War, The 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction. And we can look at these tips and divorce ourselves from what society tells us we should think about it. Oh, I can't use people and then take the credit. That's so bad. That's so bad. Oh, no, no. We've, we've already left that mind. That was like the beginning of the podcast. We've, we've left that rhetoric and that place behind. We, we don't live there anymore. I don't care what society wants from me because you know what I've been doing? I've been getting comfortable looking at what I want from me, what makes me happy. And I realize it's a lot more comfortable and takes a lot less energy to please myself because guess what? I have to live inside myself 24 hours a day. I only maybe have to deal with society a little bit, really when I think about it. And when I'm rock solid about how I feel from everything from having kids to littering, and someone comes at me sideways and says, hey, why don't you throw that wrapper out the window and why don't you start giving birth? I can say, go fuck yourself, Judy, because I know myself. I know why I don't want to do this. And I know it so well, I don't even feel like I need to explain it. Because to explain it would be on some level kind of asking you to validate it. I don't think I need to do that. No is a complete sentence here. That's what evil sort of means. I mean, think about it in the movies. Villains? They're soft-spoken. They don't say a lot. They're not going on and on and on and on and on and on. They say what they mean. They choose their words carefully. They keep their voice low. And that's it. And isn't it funny that we link that behavior with evil? Someone not explaining. Someone not asking permission. Someone not becoming hysterical. Someone who's in charge of their emotions and knows what they want. That's considered evil? Very, very interesting when you look at it from that point of view, isn't it? So I want you to look at the scalability of evil. Like I said, look around at the things that have made you mad, the boundaries you haven't even set that have been breached, the motto you're going to adopt, fewer, better things and people. How can you pull back and be more objective? How can you get comfortable with people being mad at you? Does the world end if you're not mediating between aunt and uncle at Thanksgiving? What happens if the head of design at work thinks you're kind of a bitch? What happens if that fuck boy, you tell him, no, I'm actually not gonna have sex with you because I don't feel like it and we're not in a relationship. What is the worst case scenario? Watch it happen. I did. That's what I did after my divorce. And I said, here lies the ashes of my life. And you know what? I'm still here. I remember that moment. I, I was out at an event and I was getting photographed and I was getting these gift bags and boys were flirting with me. And I thought, oh my God, my life, it, it's still going. I thought that would kill me, but it didn't. And here I am alive and enjoying myself. There's still good times to be had. So the thing I thought would kill me, the absolute worst case scenario, I still found happiness in it somehow. I still moved through it. I still found good times and support and great friends and opportunities and positive days. And yeah, of course there's hard times. What happens to me? I'll know that hard times will always walk hand in hand, good ones. It might not be an even walk, you know? The hard times might outnumber the good at first. But again, when we can learn to move through life pleasing ourselves and truly 
Look at what happens when we don't. When we look at the boundaries, the sex we had too fast, the project we took on at work that we didn't want to and shouldn't have even been assigned. When we look at what happens when we are not evil and when we lead with kindness and collaboration, humility, we will never go back. We will never go back. Once you enter your villain era, your you era, your alpha female era, there's no turning back. You can never go back to that person. You release her with love. She was doing the best she could at the time. But that's not you anymore. You're okay with people not understanding why you move the way you do. You're okay with Aunt Deb and Uncle Marty bitching each other out over the gravy boat. Your eyes are on something bigger. Your eyes are on your life, your lane, your goal, your comfort zones. Not anybody else's. If they have a problem with it, sounds like a them problem. Fuck them. Evil is the path to happiness. Evil is the path to authenticity. Kindness is for losers. If you're interested in more evil learnings, definitely join me for Evil Week down at the link in the show notes. And like I said, if you need some help getting a boyfriend back, and by that I mean getting him back into your life or just get him back, get back at him, go ahead and download my new course, the Alpha Academy Masterclass on Manipulation. And like I said, join me in the Chalantourage for bonus videos and podcasts and telegram chats with yours truly. I'll see you later, Shalligator. Stay evil. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.